Hello and welcome to our podcast, Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. I'm Beth. And we talk about true crime and paranormal with a little bit of adult beverage. And talking about that, Bethy honey, what are we drinking tonight? All right. So this week in episode seven, my mom chose that she wanted to do this true crime from Alaska. So I was like, well, crap. Never been to Alaska. Don't know much about Alaska. So I started Googling and I have a good girlfriend. Shout out to uh, Billy Girl. Love you. She's got some girlfriends that live in Alaska. So she got right on the good old Facebook and started messaging them. So I got advice about alcoholic beverages and my paranormal story. All right. Thank from, you, Billy. Yes. From True Natives. So. I'm going to put my microphone down so I might sound a little far away. Out of everybody I talked to, they all said two alcoholic beverages are their favorite. First being whiskey, which I'm not a whiskey drinker at all. So I was going to make you take a pickleback shot. I love pickleback (laughs) shots. And my mom was going to the liquor store, so I said, hey, can you get some whiskey? Not telling her what it was for or anything like that, because I looked everywhere, could not find Alaskan whiskey. There's, like, different brands and, like, really? R&R and all that kind of stuff. And I couldn't find it here in Kansas City. Oh. So. <laughs> uh, I just told her to grab any kind of whiskey, and I was just going to make her take a whiskey pickleback shot. So she shows up to my house with peanut butter whiskey. <laughs> screwball have you ever had this anybody listening i don't like whiskey but this is so tasty but that totally nicks the whole idea of a pickleback because i would hate to have a pickleback shot with peanut butter whiskey i mean that's like a pregnant woman's dream right there (laughs) except for the whiskey yeah and you being pregnant so mom and i are gonna take a shot right now Well, that's a really big <laughs> shot. We'll make this one a little smaller and oh, give it to me. Holy moly. <laughs> All, All right. right. Here we go. Down the shot, Mom. Cheers. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, it does taste like peanut butter. It does. It the tastes aftertaste, just... So going down, it does like have the alcohol burn. But but it has the, the heat. Yeah. aftertaste is not that whiskey, yucky aftertaste. It literally tastes like peanut butter. Tastes like peanut butter, which is so good. <laughs> <laughs> so no picklebacks just wow that's really good we could do another one of those um i was gonna say something and that shot just totally <laughs> <laughs> took my mind off that'll warm you up that's exactly right mom how did you know that's what i was gonna say everybody that i that i talked to from alaska said they really drink a lot of whiskey because it warms them up really it's so cold there yeah that's so crazy you just i want to use that excuse so Another thing that is in Alaska is a lot of breweries. And I found Alaskan Brew Company makes a beer that I got my hands on. Oh, my goodness. You found it here? Yeah. Thanks to Lucas Liquor Stores (laughs) here in Kansas City. Shout out to y'all. I believe her name was Judy. She helped me out a ton. She got me some Alaskan Brewing Company so I got two cans of beer. I know we just did beers last episode, and you love beer. So this is going to be a amber. Alrighty. I need Here you to open go. it for me because I have my fake nails on. 
I can't ruin the manicure. Okay. Ooh, it's tasty. Ooh, it's light. I like that. It comes in this cute can, too. It's like red and black, and it has this huge fishing boat. I'm assuming that's a fishing boat. Oh, my goodness. That is really good. It doesn't taste like beer. No, it's not like super carbonated almost, right? It's an alt-style ale. I don't know if that's... that's this is amber. That's delish. It's really good. It's yep. really good. Okay, so even though the whiskey is not from Alaska, it still kind of had ties. There's reasons for it. There you go. And then we got some Alaskan Brewing Company beer. Okay, so... On with the show. Yes, I'm going to sit back with my brewski and listen to... Uh, I mean, this is what we do, Mom. This is kind of lovely. <laughs> Talk about true crime drink. It's not a bad gig. Okay. And have fun. Yeah, I'm ready for you. Hit me. All right. The Butcher Baker. Ooh. I'm going to tell you about Robert Hansen. Okay. He's a skinny, shy, severely acneed, lonely boy with Aww. a stutter Aww. living in Iowa. Okay. With a very domineering father who's a baker. And Wait, did I buy alcohol from the wrong state? No, honey, we're doing Alaska. Okay. Okay, I'll follow. Sorry. <laughs> Her, his father was a baker as well as a hunter because of Hansen's looks. And one article was kind of mean and even went so far as to call him ugly. Just a scrawny guy. Well, I was a it ugly was, goose myself. It was his acne. Um, he had severe, severe oh, acne. I hate that. He was made fun of by the girls at the school the boys also bullied him but he grew up hating the girls because none of them would go out with him and he had fantasies of inflicting cruel revenge on them he became a loner and well no wonder i mean sure and took up hunting and archery as a refuge he just sounds like a very angry kid he used this knowledge and hobby as he later spiraled down his dark horrid hole more of that to come Okay. When he was 21, he introduced himself to the police by setting fire to the Pocahontas County school bus garage. Oh, my gosh. I, that is random to me. I mean, yes. Anyway, he served 20 months of a three-year prison. While in prison, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, now known as manic depression. In his records, the psychiatrist noted that he had an infantile personality. So what does that mean? Infant, like a, so, yeah, a very young personality. Okay, so super like immature. Mm -hmm. And he was also grossly obsessed with revenge against people he felt had wronged him. So why he didn't like girls? So being bullies to him and not liking him and being attracted. He carried oh. that on into his future. Mm -hmm. He was actually married, but only for six months. His wife divorced him while he was in prison. Mm. So over the next few years, he was picked up several times for petty theft. Now, does this ring a bell to you? Oh, boy. It seems Hansen was a very convincing liar and could sweet talk his way out of any situation. That sounds like majority of the guys we've talked about. Especially... So Last week's Casey Strangler. Yes. Lorenzo Gilliard. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of the same story. He just talks himself out of everything. He was picked up a number of times for different things, but was never held for very long. Ugh. 
He just like sways the courts in his... Well, it goes even beyond the court. He goes to jail, but then he is a very demure, very quiet, very small Mm -hmm. man who knows exactly how to act when he's in prison. He couldn't have possibly done anything wrong. So in 1967, he finally picked up and moved to Anchorage, Alaska with his second wife, Darla, and their two children. Did he move there because of a job? Nope. He just randomly I think picked he up wanted like, I want to, to just live in Alaska. start all over. Wow. You know, okay. He'd been picked up several times for, you know, the petty theft, and he just wanted to start a new life. And it seemed actually that the move to Alaska was a right direction for him. Um, he ended up owning his own bakery, bakery, which was very successful. He lived in a very nice home across from the town from the bakery. He and Darla seemed to have a very good marriage, and they both became involved in the community and the church, which they attended. Hanson befriended prominent members in the community, and those community members, as well as customers and neighbors, described Hanson as a quiet, shy, but very likable guy. I mean, you know, like I said, he was just a small man that nobody ever thought anything of. He's so innocent. Yeah. He was actually well known in the Alaskan hunting circles where he held a lot of records. Okay. uh, Because he was an avid hunter and he was very good at what he did. When his father died, Hansen inherited 17 hunting rifles, which he kept. He owned his own plane due to (laughs) the success of his bakery. Wow. Yep. And he learned to fly and was able to fly into the vast wilderness where he could get the best game. Sure. So everything was going pretty good. He had a good life. Yeah, sounds like it. Everything was going well. But maybe it was this infantile personality, but he just could not, he couldn't keep clean. Hmm. So in 1972, he was convicted of assault and rape and was placed in a work release program after serving only six months for this. In 1976, he pleaded guilty to larceny after being caught stealing a chainsaw from a department store. Why? I mean, this guy... He owns a plane. This guy had money. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's the manic depression. Yeah, sure. That kicked in. Sure. You know, so maybe he was in, in a mania stage and manic stage. and Wow. He was sentenced to five years in prison and required to take lithium for his manic depression. Ever the mild, quiet man, he was released. L- look at this. Again. It is so similar to after, Billiard. Uh-huh. After the Alaska Supreme Court reduced his sentence. <gasps> so he went through the trial. He went through the jury and everything. But the Alaska Supreme Court reduced his sentence because he was the perfect inmate. He was the perfect prisoner. So it's so hard. We have to remember that we are looking at this case from now, knowing everything. Hindsight. Hindsight. Thank you. But it's so frustrating to know that we had him in custody. Like he was put away. He was gone. And then just let out, and I'm assuming the story gets much worse than to just stealing. And Big, bad mistake, letting yes. him out. He was a rapist and a killer. Gosh, darn it. Now I'm going to have you picture Anchorage, Alaska in the 70s. This was during the uh, oil, uh, oil boom. Okay. So there was a pipeline. Yes. And the pipeline brought lots of money. 
to the people. Sure. All right. The town attracted more and more people because of the pipeline, because because of the oil boom and because of the money. It also attracted young women who were told that they could make huge wages dancing in strip clubs and becoming sex workers. Wow. So now you've got all this money. You have mob business. You've got a lot of crime. You've got the sex workers. You've got strip joints just up and down the street. I mean, it it was just kind of a crazy time. Exactly. Um, I read in one article that it grew so fast and got so crazy that the police it, it got they out of even control do anything. totally got Jeez. out of control they just were not ready for that oh that's scary and this is anchorage mm-hmm. wow and of course as with the sex workers you know and and the strip clubs it was not unusual for the girls to just pick up and leave town without telling anyone mm-hmm. they would make money go to back to usually Se- uh, seattle uh, right. Washington and and or wherever, even just sometimes Hawaii, yeah, and then traveling come, around and then come back yeah. to make more money. Hansen picked up on this and zeroed in on these young girls. They were harder to track and less likely to be missed. This is just this is the third I know. <laughs> episode in a row, and now. we don't mean we to because we don't these share these no, with we each don't. other. So. We just keep picking these terrible terrible disgusting men i mean everybody in the true crime stories we tell are disgusting but yes my mother just eye rolled me but (laughs) (laughs) but we just oh similar stories sorry so i'm going to tell you a story of a 19 year old cindy paulson who on june 13th 1983 told her story to the police okay so we know she lived so yes she's she lived so this is her story She was offered $200 by a small pockmarked man who stuttered. Hmm. He didn't look threatening. In fact, he kind of looked like a little dork. She got into the man's car and he immediately pulled a gun on her. He proceeded to his house where he took her into the basement, tortured and raped her repeatedly, then chained her to a post by her neck and laid down on the couch and took a nap. When he awoke, he handcuffed her hands in front of her and forced her back into the car and drove to the airport. He told her that he was going to take her to his cabin or he was going to take her away. As he was loading his airplane's cockpit, Cindy Paulson made her escape. Before she deserted the car, she took her blue sneaker off and put it on the back seat floor as proof that she had been in the car. So this gal was thinking. Crawled into the front seat and fled out the driver's side door. Good. Run, girl. Running with her. I know. You can just picture this and your whole body is just going, oh my God, go, go, go. (laughs) Running with her hands still cuffed and Hanson chasing her. Oh my God. She made it to 6th Street where she flagged down a truck driver. He's a little man. You can run faster. You got this. Driven by (laughs) Robert Yaunt. Actually, she asked Yant to drop her off at a hotel. Yant did that, and when he got to work, he called the police and told the police about the incident. Okay. The police went to the hotel, and she was still handcuffed and just totally a mess, obviously. Right. And she didn't try to call the police? No. It was Yant who called the police, and the police found her. I don't think her. she did. She was just in shock? I don't know. Maybe 
because she was a sex worker, she thought sure. the police wouldn't believe her. You God, know, so sad. Again, the same story, the same story. or yeah, or who knows? I do, I don't know why, but she was not the one who actually called the police. Uh, she did give the police a detailed description of her attacker, his car, and his house. It didn't take police long to find the man, Robert Hansen, a married Thank and God. respected baker in Anchorage. When confronted with the oh, allegations, no. so it's his story against hers. Hansen now. looked shocked. Oh my! He was gosh. very cooperative, polite, and showed absolutely no signs of having done anything wrong. He said his family was vacationing in Europe and that he had been with his friend John Henning all afternoon. Henning was, of course, interviewed and backed this up. Ew, who's this guy? He's just a good friend. And in some accounts, I read that there was actually two men that backed the story up. Ew. So, I don't think that they realized what they were backing up. Okay. They maybe thought that he had had... They really trusted he was innocent. I know, hope something to do with a sex worker and they were just backing that up, you know, mm-hmm. Hanson agreed to police searching his house, car and plane. He had nothing to hide as the police searched the house. They did see that Cindy had described it perfectly. Yeah, that's I was just going to say she would have known. But Hanson said that Cindy was trying to cause trouble because he, he refused to pay her extortion demands. Okay. So he totally fabricated something. Okay. Unfortunately, it was the word of a sex worker against the word of a respected businessman with an alibi. Yep, that's what I said. His and the case was closed, her. but not forgotten. Good. One of the policemen who interviewed Cindy and Hansen had it in the back of his mind that this is not right. There's something that is not clicking the other one, I think he was the lead investigator on this, closed the case. Oh. Wow. So in July 1980, construction workers working on Eklutnu Road. Got it, Mom. <laughs> I think I do. <laughs> found the body of a woman. We apologize if it's wrong. Yes. Sorry, Alaska. Later called Eklutnu Annie by the investigators. Her identity has never been known. Wow, really? She had been stabbed several times. Two years later, in September, the body of Joanne Messina, a 23-year-old topless dancer, was discovered. She had been reported missing actually a year earlier. She had been shot three times in the back by what looked like to be a hunting rifle. Mm. What was odd, though was that her clothes didn't have holes in them. So she was shot naked and then dressed. Yes. Leading the investigators to think she was naked when she was shot. Oh, my gosh. A year later, September 1983, three months after Cindy Paulson, the episode with her, a third body was found on the banks of the Nick River. 17-year-old Paula Goulding. Oh, my gosh. Another missing topless dancer. It looked like she had also been shot when naked and redressed after she died. Jeez. Was Anchorage home to a serial killer? I mean, this this first one that they found had been stabbed. Right. So, so how do you tie that to but the others? But the other ones were so different. And where were they all found? On the banks, the, the third body on the banks of the Nick River and the other one was found out of town also. So okay. It, 
you know, so kind of really in no the, ties even to where they're all being found. The, yeah, but kind of in the wilderness, not okay. not around town. Okay, now enter Detective Glenn Flothy. Okay. Of the Alaska State Troopers. He was put in charge of the, quote, topless dancers task force. Wow. Flothy conducted. Wow. <laughs> hey, they're original. Original. <laughs> okay. Cheers to you guys. <laughs> he contacted the FBI requesting a criminal profile. Given the information of the bodies, FBI agents John Douglas. Mm. And James Horn said that the killer would be, and this is, just blew my mind, an experienced hunter, have a very low self-esteem, have been rejected by women, and might even stutter. My dear John Douglas. <laughs> oh, my dear John Douglas. He is like, anyway. He's on. He's on it. He also would be hardworking. He'd be married to a wife who would have no idea of the killer side of him. The profile also added that the killer would keep souvenirs of his murders. Flothy received the report of Cindy Paulson's case from the police officer, Greg Baker. That's the police officer who was always kind of suspicious of Robert Hansen. Remember, I mentioned him before. After researching Hansen's past, Flothy was convinced Hansen should be considered a suspect. And the more he learned, the more he thought, Bingo. I've got the killer. So they had the FBI out there doing all this then? Is that why? I think they just asked for a profile. So, okay. And those so. and those that don't know who good old John Douglas is who we're talking about, he is portrayed as Holden Ford in Netflix Mindhunter. And if you've not watched that, do. you should. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to this and you've not watched that, oh, friends, please. Okay, sorry. Back. No, it's excellent. <laughs> oh, Flothy uh, re-interviewed John Henning. Remember him, the yes, friend? Yes, Who had given Hanson his alibi in the Cindy Paulson case. Things just didn't make sense to Flothy, and he threatened to charge Henning with perjury if he was lying. Good work, good work. Henning folded immediately and admitted that Hanson was not with him the day that wow. Cindy Paulson was abducted. Go with the gut instinct. So on October 27th, 1983, Hansen was arrested. As he was being questioned, his house, the car, and the plane were being searched. Found in the search were hidden firearms, jewelry belonging to some of the missing women. So the FBI had it right, right on that one. The biggest find, though, was a hidden aviation map. And the map had little X marks, which matched the areas where the three bodies had been found. Wow. More bodies were later discovered where the other X marks were on the map. Oh, no. How many X marks were there? We're getting to that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> really when, into this story. When questioned about his connections to the murder, Hansen denied it. Of course. They all Finally, do. after being told of the evidence against him, he hmm. confessed, but blamed the women and tried to justify what he had done. Wow, it's Lorenzo Gilliard all over again. I know. So Frank Rothschild, the assistant district attorney who tried the case, described Hansen when they laid out the evidence against him. And this is a quote. He was mild-mannered Bob the Baker. <laughs> and as I'm looking at him, all of a sudden he transformed. The hair on the back of his neck stood up. His face got red and he was pissed. Wow. He transformed into the monster he really was. 
Rothschild probably saw the Hanson the women saw when he was assaulting, torturing, and killing them. No. Hanson finally admitted to attacking women starting in 1971. His earliest victims were actually 16 to 19-year-olds who were not sex workers or dancers. He claimed he did not kill every girl he abducted. If they complied to his wanting oral sex and promised not to tell anyone, he would drive or fly them back home. If a woman refused him or resisted, he would force them to take their clothes off and run, giving them a head start. Oh my gosh, are you serious? Then he would hunt them like an animal. I just got chills all over. Sometimes he would even play with them, letting them think they had escaped, but then making them run again until the victim was too cold. Remember, this is Alaska. Too cold and tired, and then he would shoot them. In the back. Can you just imagine how scared these women were? How scary that is? He said that he later redressed them because it was a way for him to feel in control. And it said it was like they were a trophy. And he was dressing them. Gosh. Uh, If you've ever seen a picture of this guy, he's small. He's got glasses on. He. I need to Google him right. He looks like, I, I mean, he's not creepy looking at all. So here's his totals. Hansen raped and assaulted over 30 women. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry, but he literally, you described him perfectly, especially when he was really young. He's like, like really thin and I mean, even when he's older, he's like super thin. He's just a small, humble looking man. He is. He's not. Doesn't look like a monster at all. No. Oh my gosh. And the glasses. He just. He literally looks so innocent. (laughs) All right. I'm sorry. What was the totals numbers again? Sorry. He raped and assaulted over 30 women and killed at least 17. Very possibly as many as 21. Oh my gosh. He pleaded guilty to four homicides after police found a match between bullets found at the murder scenes and Hanson's rifles. He also helped police locate other victims' bodies using the aviation map. He showed investigators 17 sites, 12 of which were unknown to them. So he helped Can you just imagine? bring I'm peace to some families oh, by... Asshole. The uh, bodies were later identified and returned to their families, but there were still several marks on the map which he refused to disclose. In return for his plea agreement, Hansen asked to be prisoned outside of Alaska and have as little press as possible. Please tell me they didn't give that to him. Yes. He was afraid of running into friends or relatives of his many victims. Who freaking cares? Now, when you think about it, if you've raped or killed as many women as Hansen has, the chances of him, if he was in Alaska, running into a convict that was a boyfriend of one of these women were like, I don't know how many percent, but it was a high percent. Well, sure. But like, sorry, like there are consequences to your actions, asshole. I think prisoners are still kind of protected. So... He was sentenced to 461 years plus life in prison. (laughs) 
without wow. the possibility of parole. Oh my gosh. I, mean, I don't know if I've ever heard it that high. He served the first few years in a federal prison in Pennsylvania. Mm. So they did move him out. But he didn't get along with the other inmates. Oh, poor guy. So they moved him back to Alaska to Lemon Creek Prison in Juneau that sounds in like, 1988. Sounds like picturesque. Lemon Creek, I know. Lemon Creek. <laughs> And in 1990, prison guards found an aeronautical chart, a hand-knit winter hat, magazine articles on plastic explosives, and a letter to and from a Juno boat broker in the supply room where Hansen worked. Hmm. He was planning an escape. Sounds like it. He was immediately moved to the newly opened Spring Creek Correctional Center. Sounds even prettier than Lemon which Creek. <laughs> <laughs> which had... Which Sounds was, a lot warmer. <laughs> which Sorry. was one of the correctional centers, actually, um, that have a medical center attached to it. And in 2014, Hansen was moved to the medical center, and he died on August 21st. At first, they wouldn't release what the cause was of his death, but then it turned Why out... protect this guy? It turned out to be natural causes. Bummer. Oh. In reference to his death, Frank Rothschild, the attorney, yes. said he will not be missed. Good riddance to him. And Flothy, the detective who, find, uh, who got him, yes. is quoted as saying, as far as Hansen is concerned, this world is a better place without him. Absolutely. I totally agree. So poor Hansen's wife, Darla, who oh stood by gosh. her man when he poor was arrested Darla. for... Uh, stealing the chainsaw she stood by him probably because she knew of his manic depression and so she kind of stood by his side yeah she also knew that he saw sex workers occasionally but kind of turned an eye to that Mm. a blind eye to that um but she did had no idea no idea of this other this other stuff that he was doing so i believe that She tried to make it in Anchorage um, with the two children, but the children were being harassed at school. And so they moved moved shortly afterwards to Arkansas to be closer to her family. Hansen's story is actually the subject of a 2013 movie. I haven't seen it. It's called Frozen Ground. Why does that sound familiar to me? I don't know. It's starting John Cusack. John Cusack, yeah. As Hansen okay. and Nicolas Cage as Nicholas, Flothy. I was just going to say, is our Nicolas Cage in that movie? He yeah, is. I, Have you seen it? I think I've seen it, but I don't, I don't know why I knew that. I really don't know. I don't know I've, that I've seen that movie. Okay. But I knew that Nicolas Cage was in it. My husband is sitting there rolling his eyes right now because he knows I'm terrible with, with actors and stuff. But well, two episodes, <laughs> we've talked about Nicolas Cage. We have. Um, we and have. this is episode seven. So <laughs> I'm just saying, we have the same birthday. I, I get it. Oh, get that's him. it. Okay. <laughs> so I didn't see what I'm going to say except for on one site. Uh, okay. But several investigators think that Hansen could have been involved with some of the Green River murders. Now, see, I've heard that, too. And that just took me by surprise. He denies this, of course. But remember, he was a very convincing liar. Yes. Well, I'd never heard it. And when I saw it, it was like it kind of blew my mind because I did that 
you know, yeah, I did the Green did River Killer too. and it was just like, oh my gosh, my two cases have met. <laughs> Possibly. Ooh, that's a creepy pair. So I'm going to pour myself another whiskey. So <gasps> oh, look at her pouring another shot. <laughs> so I can listen to your story of... And so that you know, this is not just a shot glass. It is a double shot glass. Yum. <laughs> and I may pour another one, too. Peanut so. butter. Keep them coming, Mom. So it's time for a paranormal story from Alaska. I don't know much about Alaska, but again, thanks to Billy, I was shown the Alaskan Hotel and Bar. So that is what I'm covering and it is in Juneau, Alaska. Oh, okay. okay mom, how do you spell Juneau? Just a Don't minute. look in your Let notes. Look Don't at look in your notes. <laughs> I was like blown away. <laughs> it is actually spelled J-U-N-E-A-U. <laughs> Not Juneau like the movie, unfortunately. I was way wrong. <clears throat> hey, but we both pronounced it correctly, so yes, kudos to us. Exactly. At least we're pronouncing it correctly. Okay, so the Alaskan Hotel and Bar, it's located at 167 South Franklin Street in Juneau, Alaska. It is one of, if not the oldest operating hotels in Alaska. The area was a mining camp at the time. I must like mining ghosts or something. (laughs) Yeah, this is the second one on that one. Uh, The area had many boarding houses for the miners, but very few hotels. The hotel was built in the center of town and was meant to be very fancy, very posh, and had a Victorian look to it. So who would go to this hotel? Good question. (laughs) I'm getting there, Mom. Oh. (laughs) The building took a whole five months to complete. Yowzy. (laughs) Either people were really bored in Juneau or... (laughs) Five months. And they officially opened the doors to the hotel on Tuesday, September 16th, 1913. There was this huge banner I saw on the opening. It was this grand opening. Uh, The opening night, they hosted a champagne gala. Uh Thank you. The event had two bands and offered... She said, "Mm -hmm," but it's gala, right? Thank you. The event had two bands and offered free ferries between Douglas and Juno for the night. So the only way you can get into Juno and out of Juno is on the ferry by boat or by plane. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. You cannot drive into or out of Juno. Yeah, we have by to look at a boat? map on Alaska. No, <laughs> so ignorant. Also, the only way to get to Juno is by boat or by plane. That's it. So the dispatch. So does that so- make it an island? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so this article I read said that the dispatch stated, so this is a bunch of he said, she said stuff, but the dish, the dish, the dispatch. Yeah. She just asked if she could open another can of Alaskan beer. Yes. Why are you whispering? Yes. <laughs> you can drink the beer, mom. Okay. The dispatch stated that, quote, at 6 p.m., the management will formally unlock the doors and the keys will then be attached to a toy balloon, which will carry them out of sight 
from the moment the doors swing open, never to close, the hotel will be for the accommodation of guests. Oh, wow. What an interesting concept. <laughs> I know. The building was placed on the National Registrar of Historic Places in 1978. Its present owners have kept it in its original Victorian style, with local Juno residents saying it's incredibly well-preserved and how very little of it has changed over the years. And the doors are still unlocked. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the bar is right below the hotel. So leads to some interesting reviews on Yelp, but it has folk oh, bands like and open mic nights <laughs> and a good old party down in the bar. So sleep is not real readily I, achieved. I don't know. Some good Yelp reviews. But the rooms are very Victorian still. Like very old looking very it's very cool like it does look very old timey so the hotel is like stepping back in time oh that's the next thing that was my next bullet point <laughs> with its wallpaper and its decor <laughs> most floors have a communal bathroom Ew. but you can pay an extra 10 whole dollars to upgrade to a room with its own bathroom Oh, yeah. I'm all over that. I'm all over that. <laughs> okay. So, this hotel has been through a lot. I mean, it's been there for over 100 years. With it being in a mining town, the bar had a lot of gambling and, of course, drunken fights and some drug use. It was actually had some money laundering and attached was the hotel. So, it was used as a bordello for a while. Oh, really? Okay. So, that would probably be... Your guests you asked about earlier. Well, they had fancy rooms. Yeah. And <laughs> just saying. <laughs> oh, boy. So let's talk about hauntings, shall we? Please. <laughs> I had to do some digging. I'll be honest. It's too cold in Alaska for ghosts. <laughs> Hold on. I, that, was, that was a joke I was going to say later, Mom. You totally stole my joke. <laughs> I had it written down here and everything in my notes. Ugh. So anyway, one common story that I did see kind of a, out there on the web was a woman named Alice. Now, Alice and her boyfriend, husband or fiance, I don't know. Every story was different. Mm -hmm. Moved into the Alaskan hotel together. They like rented out a room or they were going to live in a room there. I guess oh. they were that because the, the hotel changed kind of what it was over the years. It's a hotel now. It started as a hotel, but it did was a bordello. People lived there. So it, it kind of was bounced around okay. and what it was used for. At this time that they lived there, it was a brothel, though. Her boyfriend, husband, fiance, I don't know what he was, went off on a mining excursion. So kind of like a mining business trip, I guess. <laughs> Honey, I'm going on a trip to the mine. <laughs> he was gone for a while. <laughs> he packed his briefcase and just with his little pitchfork and headed out on his I business know. trip. <laughs> Obviously, back then. It's off to work we go. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure you want that fourth shot there, Mom? Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, obviously, he didn't bring a cell phone. I mean, he didn't have one. So, wouldn't work in the mine anyway. He was gone for a really long time. There was no contact. And Alice, now now we aren't sure if she was forced 
into prostitution or if it was her choice to make some money because he was gone now. Oh, okay. But either way, she became either way a sex she worker. started working as a sex worker. And when her boyfriend, husband, fiance, we don't know who he is still, finally returned, he was really pissed about it. And he shot her. Oh. And then he hung himself. And this happened in room 219. And the owners will even share this story with you. So 219 is haunted. So Alice is seen as a blonde woman in a white, in white period clothing. They ghosts apparently don't get stains because they're always in white. Women are always in white. They're always in white. Hovering around 219. She's seen in the halls of that floor and seen in the mirrors hanging around the hotel. Okay, that would be creepy. I mean, I think that would be creepier than seeing a woman in the hallway. I think is so looking too. in the mirror and seeing seeing somebody and then turning around, nobody's there and like Okay, that would be just That'd be terrifying. That would be yes, it would be. So in room two nineteen, guests and workers alike have such a sad and uneasy feeling in that room. And they all have this feeling they just shouldn't be there. They're just, they should not be in that room. Alice is seen sitting on the edge of the bed. And guests have even said that they've woken up to someone touching them and nobody is there. Oh. Housekeeping staff mentioned that misplaced items from the hotel are found in the room. And that sometimes things will just suddenly disappear in the room. What do you mean? So, like, a lamp that they're looking at, well, like, then they look and the lamp's gone. And then they look and the lamp's there. And what? I'm sorry, but, like, that's not Alice. That's our friend George who takes the <laughs> stairway. Who's George? <laughs> and if you have no idea what joke we're talking about, go back and listen to episode three in North Carolina and you'll get it. <laughs> So a front desk worker claimed that he always gets goosebumps when walking by this room and the area around that room is always very cold. Uh, Hello, dude, you're in Alaska. (laughs) (laughs) That was my joke and my mother stole it earlier. (laughs) Another haunted room is room 313. Again, people will feel touched and then wake up and nobody's there. And the room is said to be haunted by a fisherman. How do they know it's a fisherman, you ask? Yes, I do. Well, because his presence is always accompanied by a lovely fish smell. I was going to ask. Can you imagine? I'd rather it be cold. 321 has an angry spirit that is always throwing things. Oh. But room 315 has the creepiest story of all. Now, this room has always been claimed to be the most haunted. The owner of the hotel, Betty Adams, won't even go in much further than the doorway. But she lets guests go in there. (laughs) She does. It just feels wrong to be in there. That's what everybody says. It just feels wrong. They should not be in there. Guests have reported many apparitions, moving objects, and even the appearance of the bathroom changing from old Victorian to modern back to old Victorian. Okay, I'm sorry. That would be cool. That would be so stinking cool to see. I, can you imagine? That would just be, I mean, George is really playing tricks in this hotel, taking things and like a time warp in them. Wow. This is above a bar. So I don't know. Like, wow, what did I drink tonight? (laughs) 
So this is where it gets really scary, I think. In May of 2007, the hotel received an email from a sailor that ships that ship was porting there for a couple of days. And in the email, the sailor requested to stay in the most haunted room in the hotel. Betty Adams, the owner, gave him room 315. I mean, it's the most haunted room. He requested it. I'm sure people do that all the time. Like, that's what I do when I go stay at haunted places. I'm like, okay, what's the most haunted room? I want to stay there. I know. So I read about what happened on a few different articles, but the story was also told in part of an episode of Jack Osborne's paranormal show. Yes. Ozzy Osbourne's son, Jack Osbourne, has a paranormal show. Oh, I didn't know that. It's called Portals to Hell, and it's with uh, Katrina Weidman, W-E-I-D-M-A-N. I I really hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. She's awesome. The show was actually pretty cool. Uh, This was in season one, episode one. So they covered the Alaskan in their very first episode, and this story was told on there. I'll talk about the episode in a little bit, but why I bring it up now is because Jack did more research on this story of the sailor, and he actually talked to the lieutenant that was the first on the scene, and this lieutenant sent him audio from that night. So just keep that in mind as I tell this. So the night the sailor checked in, they heard a lot of commotion in the hotel room, and there was like screaming stuff, so the police were called. And the lieutenant even stated that it sounded like there were multiple people in the room. Um, So the body cam audio that Jack Osborne got, he plays on the the show. Okay. And you just hear tons of screaming and like repeating something like help, help, help. And like just stuff going down in that room being thrown. And even the police are like, who's in there with you? Who's in there? And it it does. It sounds like there's multiple people in there. And help me, help me, let me out, let me out. The sailor did attempt suicide and tried and jumped out the window. And when the police, he's, he does survive. He did survive. Oh, he did? Yes, he did survive. So the window, from what I understand, there's like a building. Like you look out the window, there's like a building literally right in front of you. Okay. And he got caught between like that building and the hotel building, I think. But he didn't die. But he did jump. He did attempt suicide. Now, here's the creepy thing. When the police got into his room, the room was covered in blood. And at some point, the man had cut himself and he had written in his own blood, help on the wall. So there's really no finale to the story. The man survived and the man's mom called the owner and really gave her a talking to and was super mad at Betty, the owner. Why? And was like, why did you give him the most haunted room? Well, how was she supposed to know that the guy was? Yeah, obviously unstable. Yeah. So is this a haunting? Is this man just very, very unstable? I don't know. But I thought that was a pretty creepy story interesting that he would ask for the most haunted room yeah maybe he wanted to blame it on something i don't know i i i it's sad but he survived so i hope he found the help he needed and but that's it that's all that the story is told wow that is creepy yeah 
So the Portals to Hell episode about the Alaskan was super creepy. I won't go into all of it. I do recommend you watch it. The key to their investigation was the owner's son, Joshua. He grew up his entire life in this hotel, and he now works as the bar manager, or he did when Jack Osborne interviewed him. He admits to conjuring spirits. Ay, ay, ay. You know yes. how I feel about weird, that. In a very weird, like, roundabout way, he finally, like, admits it. As And he tells some really interesting stories about the hotel. He told a story about how a man was beat up in the bar and just left to die in room 213. He also, like, sees and feels things throughout the hotel and the bar. And so the hotel used to rent out hot tubs in their basement for people to like i don't know it just sounds weird yeah (laughs) i know sounds kind of odd they don't do it anymore thankfully but uh a man did drown in one of the hot tubs and joshua was the one who pulled him out and like tried to resuscitate him oh my gosh and he haunts the basement his name is charlie and he enjoys groping women (laughs) (laughs) apparently so they talked to charlie throughout this episode and i mean it it was it was a good episode it was it was very interesting yeah okay are there any rooms in this hotel that aren't haunted i would hope so i but it sounds like there are a number i mean yeah usually hotels have i don't know all the time but have like one or two sure maybe sure but this is like yeah. yeah, on this floor we've got three, and on this floor we have two. Which and then floor this, do you want to in this floor, on? I don't know if any rooms are haunted, but I know a woman will be found in all the mirrors. So I mean, it's like <laughs> creep factor big time. And if you get cold in Alaska, it's just the ghosts. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the frozen tundra. It is the ghosts walking. Just take a shot of whiskey, and you'll be just fine. You'll also sleep off all the loud music below, so don't worry. Several shots on the house. (laughs) Sleep well. (laughs) So that is the Alaskan Hotel. Fun. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, I really want to look into this. Yeah. Cute little place. Okay. Thank you guys so much for listening. And next week, we will be covering the state of Oregon. Oregon. Okay. Uh, You can find us on all the socials. Leave us some great reviews. We love hearing from you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to all of you that already have. We still want to hear your stories. We want to get some more input on where you guys are from and some fun stories. True crime, paranormal, whatever you want to spook us with. And you can email us at killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. This was fun. Alaska was fun, dear. Yes, it was. Cheers, mama. Cheers. Love you, kid.